This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today we have Gabrielle Safar. Gabrielle is the CEO and founder of Lease Pilot, a unique software program that I'm excited for you to all learn about. Gabrielle, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. So, Gabrielle, why don't you tell us a little bit about more about you, who you are, and what Lease Pilot does? Okay. Um, well, Lease Pilot is a lease drafting software platform that's designed to radically speed up the process of going from an LOI to a signed lease. The other thing that Lease Pilot does is because we're a digital system that builds your lease, we can make all of the information in your lease visible and easily accessible. So many of our customers who use MRI or Yardi or other types of solutions, when they draft a lease in Lease Pilot, we can push that information directly into their ERP system without the need to abstract anything. You can also pull leases from systems like VTS, Salesforce, or Microsoft Dynamics. So when your leasing team starts drafting, they have all the proposal information and you eliminate the need to rekey information over and over and over again. My, My background is I'm a real estate lawyer and I spent the bulk of my adult life pounding out deals and drafting leases largely for retail. That's where I cut my teeth. Um, and lease pilots sort of came out of my personal experiences and frustrations. Interesting. Um, you know, I think most people would think with a program like this, you, you know, would come from the tech background, not from the legal background. Nonetheless, uh, makes sense. How was you, how was the experience going from law to getting into tech? That's a totally like different mindset. I think the group of people that are probably least qualified to move into a tech business are lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) That might be, that might be the quote that goes on social media when we post the podcast. (laughs) You're more than welcome to do it. And it's not a criticism of lawyers. It's the, the, the way that people are trained and what they look for. So lawyers are trained to deal with edge cases. Technology people are trained to ignore edge cases. And so um, the whole concept of agile software development. Can you expand on that? I think that's a great point. Can you expand on that? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do is I'm going to expand on that. You know, lawyers are about eliminating risk. They don't often have... Um, the tools, they're often the incentive structures that they have allow, require them to focus on areas where someone can get bitten and it doesn't require them to always make the cost benefit analysis where you're saying, this is the probability of being bitten and this is the cost of being bitten and this is the outcome. With a technology company, you're always thinking about how can I move fast? And if you focus on the edge cases, the instance where like there's an element of risk, but the probability of that risk coming to fruition is low, 
you plow through it. And that's part of how you learn. The problem is, and this is in the defense of lawyers, I am a lawyer, I immensely respect the profession and everything that lawyers do in the retail industry is that companies and their clients, they look at them as when something goes wrong, it's the lawyer's fault. And so inherently they have to be risk averse. Um, And that's a very, very different mindset to building a technology company and doing things that are novel. Whenever you're doing something that's new, like you can't anticipate every risk because no one's done it before. You can't look at a model. You can't work from a form. You just have to invent. And so what we say at Least Pilot is for us, we're all about learning by doing. You need to do to learn, and then you need to think about it and adjust and do again. And that's our mantra. And we hire a lot of lawyers. Our team that implements all of our customers are real estate lawyers and paralegals. And so we need to do a lot of re-education. Interesting. And to expand even further, we're talking about some clause that may be negotiated. Uh, I'll give you one that gets negotiated a lot uh, in in recent times, uh, which started happening the last couple of years was the uh, casualty provision um, was really negotiated in leases pretty at length. And you you might understand it might in places like Florida where there's more hurricanes and whatnot. But I think at scale, it's been a provision that has ramped up the amount of negotiating. And to your point, you know, the reality is the probably the likelihood of a casualty is low in general. But should we uh, be spending the amount of time working on that provision as industry professionals, given the risk of a tornado coming in in Boston are probably unlikely. Well, so in that context, lease pilot is agnostic as to what individual people negotiate. I was more referencing the training that people have and the thought process and how that's different in a technology company where we're not negotiating leases. Our customers negotiate their leases and we provide a software. I understand. Yeah, no, no, no. I understand. I think I meant that as the just the premise of risk that, that I was trying to say that's the, you know, attorneys are trying to eliminate risk and do that. Whereas the tech, the tech people are taking and saying the probability is low. Let's, as you say, plow through and let's and speed matters. That That's all I was saying, not the negotiating piece, just the amount of time spent on that risk versus other items. I feel blessed at DLC. We have a great balance of the the team does a great job of managing the legal team does a great job of managing the risk, but also moving quickly. And um, so I, I, I feel blessed. How big of a company is Lease Pilot? How many employees do you have? We have 20 employees. Okay. And an army of additional people that we don't really have on our headcount their sort of full-time auxiliary staff. And are you focused just on retail real estate or are you in all forms of commercial real estate? All forms of commercial real estate, office, industrial, and retail. The bulk where we started the company is, you know, we were focusing on retail and that was largely just because the ICSC as an organization is 
an efficient way to prospect and going to all the conferences. And then my personal background as a lawyer was I spent a lot of time negotiating retail leasing and doing shopping center acquisitions and dispositions and financings. Okay. So what does the program do more specifically? What does Lease Pilot do? So anyone who spent time doing deals and doing leases understands that there's a market for space. And whenever, whenever there's a deep, large market for space, you coalesce around certain terms that get negotiated and ideas that get negotiated. So for example, you can have a tenant fit out, you can have percentage rent, you can have free rent. It's pretty predictable how those concepts are going to waterfall through a lease agreement. The specific words might be different in any given lease, but the concept is the same when you negotiate it. So at least pilot, what we've done, which is really novel, is we have built a huge inventory of those concepts, and we've embedded that in a menu of drop-down items, checkboxes, and we've developed a tool to wire those concepts to DLC's lease document, for example, or whomever's lease agreement. And so our customers, they have their own forms. Lease Pilot has no forms of our own. When you give us your lease, we upload it into our software, and then our software allows us to identify, well, here are the free rent options that you have. How many months of free rent? Is it in the term or outside of the term? Is it just base rent or additional rent? These are all predictable things that you can think about. And then we tie that to the lease agreement itself and your clause libraries. So when you start ticking off those buttons, your lease comes together and it can save like radical amounts of drafting time. We see, for example, when you add a franchise provision into a lease, you need to change the interior sign language. You need to change the default provisions because you have cross defaults. You need to add notice provisions. There's a franchise addendum. That can happen in the middle of a lease negotiation. You start a deal with a tenant and you think it's sort of wholly owned by corporate. It winds up being a franchise. And in the middle of a lease negotiation, you need to change 15 places in the lease. That can take 30 minutes. 40 minutes, you add that up because you add a guarantee into the lease. 15 places in the lease just changed to add a guarantee. Now you're at three hours of drafting time. For a lawyer or a negotiator who's drafting a lease to free up three hours of drafting time, that can take a couple of days because they're busy. They got stuff going on. If you, through smart automation, can press a button and all of your guarantee provisions in your form of guarantee for a corporate or a married couple or an individual just attached to your lease, you can turn that three hours into 15 minutes. And that 15 minutes, you can free up any day. So the idea of reducing bottlenecks is how we've seen outcomes, which is you know, from an LOI to first draft out, not unusual three to five business days with lease pilot, that should be the same day. And we often see you know, a 70 day to 90 day cycle from an LOI to a signed lease. We have plenty of customers, especially in retail that go from 70 to 80 days and they shave 35 days off of their cycle. I mean, that's really, um, really impactful. So that's how the automation works. 
The reality, though, and what some people miss, and this is, again, one of the areas where technology and legal um, sort of butt heads, is that we understand that a lease can't be fully automated. And we know that deals are always customized because specific tenants have specific needs. And so the, le- the, the, the tech community thinks that software can do everything. And at least pilot, we don't believe that. We believe software is really there to make people more efficient and effective. So if we can take away a lot of the sort of rote work about inserting a guarantee provision, and then we give tools within LeasePilot to let people manipulate the text, because there's a tight interaction between the automation and the text, that allows people to customize their deal at the same time. And that's where you really get the rich speed, is that we allow lawyers and negotiators to spend their time thinking about how do I actually need to customize this transaction for this deal, rather than spending all of their time playing around with the guarantee provision and fitting it into a lease. Does that make sense? Makes sense. How long did it take you to make the tech? A long time. That's that's a loaded question because it's always evolving and it's always growing and becoming better. Concept to launch. Concept to launch. Probably two years. Two years. Yeah, we started with um, we started with a bunch of beta customers, all in retail. But the real trick with Lease Pilot and what's totally novel about what we do is, if you think about it, there's no other system that allows you to customize a deal while using software to automate parts of the deal at the same time. And so we needed to invent our own sort of text editing capabilities to give you the feel of Word. However, because LeasePilot is a fully digital solution, we're able to track 1,500 data segments in a lease. For us, a lease is a set of database values, totally different approach than using a Microsoft Word document, which is a bunch of letters strung together. And so what we're really doing is we're using a database to negotiate a lease. And why that's so important is if you're an MRI customer and you finish a lease in LeasePilot, I can just put the lease right into MRI. And it's not an abstract of the lease. It is the lease. And so there are no errors in the transmission. We have customers that were spending four hours abstracting leases, getting it into MRI, and only getting in a fraction of the different pieces of information that could be tracked. And we've completely turned that process into zero time. It just goes from the lease, lease pilot talks to MRI, opens a lease record in MRI, and then the data is populated in MRI. And on a scale of one to 10, when you originally had concept in brain, what was your level of, let's call it tech knowledge? Zero to negative one. <laughs> okay. I am not technical. Okay. And that's sort of one of the things I think that's an advantage um, because it's got to be really easy for, for me to use it or be willing to use a piece of software. I was like old school. The way I drafted as a lawyer, like I had a binder of old leases that I did. And if I wanted my fallback language, I'd take a scissor. And I would cut out the language and staple it to the draft of the lease and then give it to a secretary. 
and have them type it in. Got it. Understood. And you obviously started saying, hey, I have this concept. You went to some tech people. And how challenging was it for them to get to incorporate all that was in your brain? That's a that's a really good question. That takes a lot of time and a really knowledgeable um, group of people who understand their craft. And that's the whole business of product development and user design experts. So the user design teams, and that's what we hired um, to start. As a lawyer, what me and my co-founder did is we said, let's just, we believe that what we do right now is really inefficient um, and needs to be fixed. And so with our own capital, we hired a user design firm. And at nights while we were working, we'd be meeting with them and sort of sharing our thoughts about how to turn what we were experiencing into software. They were trained and there's a whole field called user experience designing um, and UI where they have a set of techniques and uh, activities that they engage in to tease that out of you and to turn them into wireframes. And a wireframe is just a simple draw, drawing that's meant to represent the functionality of software so people can see something rather than listen to me talk. Um, and so that team was really effective over the course of six months when we were meeting with them from 9 p.m. to you know one in the morning, or if it was you know after work at seven to 11, you know, that's what we would do, which was super tough because at the time I was still a practicing attorney and your clients don't turn off because you're trying to create a new business. Understood. And when did you get the comfort level and to, to say, all right, here I go. I'm going to stop practicing law and I'm going to get into this way. What was the point in time where you cut the court? So that's another good question. It really wasn't comfort level level. It was discomfort level. There was a certain point where the tension between those nights, like putting software together and trying to manage my relationships at work became so fraught and so intense. There'd be like, I just, I was managing clients. And so I had a lot of responsibility and at a certain point, just, it became too much. It became too much to spend time with the engineers and the product designers, and then also be working with clients. And then other people in the firm were relying on me to sort of drive deals forward. And so at a, I came to a point where I said, I just can't do it all. I value the relationships that I have with people and I can't put them in a situation where they feel like I'm dropping the ball and I ruin my reputation for being someone who's sort of responsive and responsible. I'd also spoken to customers um, or prospective customers to get some feedback. That said, you know, I don't come from a tech background. I'm a real estate guy. Even when I was a lawyer, I was first a real estate person. My family's in the real estate business. My brother's a developer. My wife's an architect. You know, so my angle on real estate was being a lawyer, but I was first and foremost a real estate person. And because of that background, I just had a conviction that this would work. 
And so I could take a certain level of risk that maybe some entrepreneur that just wants to start a company, they can't take because they don't have that background in that industry. That's not the path that I took to starting a tech company. The path that I took was that I had deep, deep experience with a particular area of economic activity. And to me, it just didn't make sense what we were doing. Like I think about myself as when I was outside lawyer, no matter what I did. I mean, think about this for a second, Chris. I'm a highly educated person that I thought was smart. And no matter what I did, every single one of my clients said I was too slow. No matter how efficient I tried to be, every single one of my clients said I was too expensive. And then at the end of the day, what, the, what was my work product? 120 pages of words. And I would give someone that 120 pages of words and they didn't care about them. All they cared about, the lease was done. I'm going to give this to an admin and they're going to rip apart your lease and abstract it into three pages and I'm going to put it into a system. So I was like, whoa, I'm this hyper-educated, you know, inefficient, slow, expensive <laughs> resource that's producing some irrelevant product that nobody wants. And I was like, this makes no sense whatsoever. Like we, we can do more with a profession as thoughtful and useful as, as a legal profession. You know, we can do way better. And, and that's what gave me the comfort to like leave the practice of law in a law firm was just like knowing that all lawyers have way more to offer. And then what we're allowed to offer given the tools at our disposal. That was a long answer. That was a great answer. As I, as I get to, and just curious, did you take any VC money yet? Yeah, we have. You have. They're not a VC. It's um, it's a hedge fund. It, it, this is a funny story. If I pause on it for a second. Yeah. It was two books that had a huge influence on me leaving the practice of law and starting the company. One of them was a book called The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. Everyone no, should read it. No, so yeah, that, yeah, right. that's our hedge fund that invested in us. It's Clayton, it's Clayton Christensen's hedge fund. Wow. So, um, so it was the book that influenced us. And then later we were introduced to the hedge fund and they became our institutional investor. Which, wow. Yeah, that was just amazing for me as a person to be so influenced by a set of ideas and to build this business with that in mind. And then to have like the guy who wrote the book on it, literally um, be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That fits right within that model of disruptive innovation. And we're going to back you. Um, that, that is a high point. Yeah. That's validating for sure. And did you get funding pre-revenue or post-revenue? Post-revenue. We knows um, all, all post-revenue. We funded ourselves for a significant period of time. But what we did, which was interesting, um, is we sold our first customer without having anything. It was on nothing but the wireframes and an idea and the ability to communicate that conviction that we had. And we had one retail landlord that uh, just the greatest group of people. And they said, yeah, we'll take a flyer on you guys. And so they signed up. And once they signed up for it, that's when we started raising friends and family money. And then we hired 
a very substantial engineering firm to do the work for us and build it in our direction. Got it. And and as I know these platforms do, what do you see as next for you guys? Do you see this? Do you see this now? Purchase and sale agreements, loan agreements, or are you going to focus on leases? Is it, what do you see next? Is it just going deeper into more landlords? What do you see next? Yeah, we have a lot of work to do on transforming the way that leases are drafted and negotiated. So we have no plans outside of that in the near term. And what we're going to focus more and more on is doubling down on the things that we do well. Our goal is to make the process of drafting leases fast, flexible, and efficient. And to do that, there are a number of tools that we're providing. We've started with our core platform, which is best way to sort of understand this is to see the demo, but with the set of automation options that we have um, that you can access by drop down and by um, radio buttons and then manipulating the lease itself. And what we're now building is a series of dashboards for our customers. So teams have visibility into the leasing process. So you can understand, you know, where are we at any given point in time between draft one and draft two, how long did that take? What provisions of the lease are most negotiated? Um, And then we're continuing to work on being able to aggregate that information inside of the lease. So teams and owners can use that thoughtfully. An example, think about how much insurance information is in a lease. And it's anal stuff that nobody wants to even think about outside of a negotiation between the lawyers. Like, are there waivers of subrogation in a lease? That matters a lot for risk shifting from the landlord's insurance agent to the tenant's insurance agent. If we're capturing all of that information, about insurance. And we give that to you, Chris, for example, in a model, you can understand how much risk has been shifted from your insurer to your tenant's insurers. And that can allow you to go to your underwriter and say, look at, I'm overpaying for my insurance. Um, I'd like to get a discount because we've contractually shifted away 75% of our risk. And here, by the way, is a report that comes directly from our leases. Those are the types of things that we're working on right now, or we're doing um, a due diligence report, for example. You're refinancing a portfolio and your lender, what do they do? They hire a lawyer that you pay for to read all the leases. They're like, why do they need to read all the leases? Well, there's a lot of information in the lease that's not included in an abstract. Do the leases automatically subordinate to future mortgagees? Um, what are the different mortgagee provisions? How do all of those things work? Well, at least pilot, since we're building your lease from structured data, we know all of that. And so we can put together a report for a lender that has all of the information that they would want to know. And so after you do a lease three years later, Chris says, we're doing a loan with JP Morgan, send a report of all of our leases. We can send a report with all of the things that JP Morgan wants to know. You sign your leases on DocuSign, we're able to actually tie the final lease that's authenticated to the report. And JP Morgan can prove that and can know with confidence that not only do I have the information I have, 
That's the information that the tenant signed. I don't need to look at the lease. And now you can save a ton of time on lease due diligence. That's a product we call instant diligence. Those are the types of things that we're trying to do for the real estate industry is to make it more efficient because at the end of the day, the lease itself is the source of truth. We're all in the business of leasing space. And so that lease is the underlying asset for the entire real estate industry. And today it's a closed box. It's very hard to understand what's in that lease. And so as we continue to evolve as a company, we want to provide more and more tools to our customers like DLC um, so that you can have access to that information in your lease that you don't always have access to because it's just too hard to get. Very interesting. I'm interested to see how you answer it. And if you answer it differently, I don't, I don't mean to challenge you, but I'm going to. Um, who do you think your biggest competitors are? Um, clearly the, the, the status quo that is our biggest competitor is inertia. At the end of the day, what we find is that in many instances, justifiably and rightly teams feel like they're very efficient on their own without software. And so they say like, I'm efficient. We don't need lease pilot. I recently wrote a blog post called it's all in my head. Risk to business continuity lurking in your manual processes. And so to that group, what I would say is, sure, you might be hyper efficient um, because you have a group of people that have been managing a process for an extended people period of time. The risk is that a highly manual process where information is all stored in people's head, isn't flexible, it's not agile, and it's not redundant. And when there's change in the environment and you need to deal with rapid change, it's not very flexible. But that's our biggest source of competition is that people feel like something like lease pilots not necessary because it's all in their head. And they have the ability to do like pull the language and move it around that quickly. There's a value and a cost to undocumented knowledge in people's heads for companies. So uh, there, there is that. Um, how about from a tech side? Who, who are the competitors from a tech side in your opinion? There's a couple different sources of competition. So there's a number of different um, automation companies and document automation companies. So they have hot docs. Um, a big one is DocuSign as a product called Spring CM. Those are clearly competitors. And then on the back end, when it comes to information and data, um, you have a whole set of AI tools that try to read leases and turn that information into structured data that they can push into different ERP systems. Lease Pilot does both of those things in a very different way than both of those solutions. So a system like Spring CM uses Microsoft Word and you answer a questionnaire. You don't see your lease. Um, you also don't have access to any pre-built lease functionality because they do a lot more than just leasing. All we do is leasing. And then you produce a Word document. Once you produce a Word document, you no longer have access to your clause libraries and ongoing items. So take for example, um, 
you prepare a lease, you answer a questionnaire using Spring CM or Hot Docs, then you generate that first draft of a lease in Microsoft Word. And the hardest draft is always the second draft by far. Mm -hmm. And so now you're on the second draft and you realize I got to add a guarantee. What do you do with Spring CM or all those other solutions? Nothing. You're in Microsoft Word. You can't use the automation anymore. Lease Pilot is different because it's a lifecycle tool. We can include your clause book. And when you're on a second draft and you see that the tenant is a franchise, you can click a button and all your franchise language comes in. That's really, really powerful. The other thing you can do in Lease Pilot is you can take a Word document and upload it into Lease Pilot. And then you can just accept, reject, and understand what your tenant did. And then you pull it into the software and it interacts with your clause library and you can control that. So that's how we're different there. The way that we're different on the information front, on the abstracting side, is we don't use any AI. We don't need to use artificial intelligence. We're just intelligent. Um, and so <laughs> what that means is that we're building your lease from structured information. The artificial intelligence is all about taking something that's a group of words that don't necessarily have meaning to a computer and then turning that into structure that a computer can understand. And software doesn't do a great job of that. Since with Lease Pilot, we build your lease in our app. We don't need some whiz-bang artificial intelligence system to turn that into structured information. It's structured information from inception. So there's nothing to abstract. There's nothing to convert. It's all reports. A full lease is just a report that's pulled from our database um, when you look at the entire lease. At, I can slice that into any way that you want. If you want an abstract, I can give you an abstract on a first draft of the lease. And you can give that to someone who wants to review that abstract um, during the negotiation process rather than reviewing the whole lease because it's all structured information. Does that make sense? Sure. It, here's the challenge. From someone who's, uh, as a COO, is buying software, I think your competition is all software programs. It is the property management software program, MRI. It is the construction management software. It is Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce. And here's why, because as a, and you've, you've navigated the waters well, but as a, as a company, I can, I, I get pitched software programs on a, you know, it, it must be I either get an email, a phone call, I'm on a webinar weekly. Here's what I've realized. They're all great. They all solve like some interesting problem. The problem is that there's no way, even forget about the cost, you couldn't pay for them all, to onboard, implement, and actually execute and use the all these softwares at once. So on an annualized basis, you have to think about like, what are the key priorities and the friction points that you'd really like to solve for? Because you could, you know, open Google and there's a software program that solves your problem. But as a, a you know, as an executive looking at how do we help the organization, if we were to onboard seven new software systems, you know, the whole year, we would do no business. We'd be onboarding software systems and trying to figure out and getting buy-in from people to use the software and change process and procedure. So you can't do that. And it is, I would tell you, the for anyone who's selling software out there, 
that to me is the biggest piece. It's not of I've rarely met a someone selling a software who hasn't identified a problem. What no one's ever done is said, what are the biggest technology needs of the organizations and where do I fit into that stack? Because to me, that is that is something that anyone's selling software because every company has technological needs, software needs. It's a function of not a function of Salesforce versus VTS versus Microsoft CRM. It's that cost benefit analysis compared to all the other software initiatives that are in the organization. And I am surprised that that's not a subject talked about more. Uh, but it is when I think about any software company, their competition is all software companies because as a company, if you had, even if you had all the money to buy them all, it doesn't solve the problem of onboarding them and making it user friendly for everybody in the organization and having and and having it be effective versus destructive. And so I would say that's the 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 thing that I find most interesting about softwares because you know all the tech is great for business, right? Whether it's in our industry or other, it's 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 helping. I think that it's hard to onboard them all. So I leave you with that, Gabrielle. I couldn't agree with you more. And one of the things that we do in our sales process is try to understand what are the priorities of the company. It's not my job to go and tell you what you should care about. Okay. You have your strategic priorities as a company. And so my goal as a salesperson when I'm working with prospective customers is to understand what are your priorities as an organization and does lease pilot help you achieve your pre-existing priorities. That's where I get excited is when I see an opportunity to say, to see to a customer, you know, here's a goal that you have for yourself and here's how I can help you achieve that. When we go and talk to publicly traded companies, for example, I read every single one of their 10Ks and listen to all of their earnings reports. And the reason I do that is I try to hear and listen, like what are their objectives as an organization and does lease pilot fit into those objectives and can we help them achieve pre-existing objectives? I, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. It's an important point. Software has no value in and of itself. None whatsoever. It's just cost, time, and money. And distraction, onboarding is a huge, huge distraction. So there needs to be a pre-existing objective that that software vendor helps. So pause on one thing that you said, though. Um, one of the things that we see at Least Pilot that's um, really important to us is we know organizations have a lot of software. And they get overwhelmed with all of this different software and BTS, Microsoft Dynamics, the MRI. How does this all work together? Our goal is to take lines off of that system diagram. And it's to make that system diagram easier and simpler. And the reason for that is a lot of complexity in the way that these sort of software systems that real estate companies use is created because the lease isn't digital. Like at the end of the day, what is MRI using? It's all information from the lease. 
what it does Salesforce and what does a system like VTS do or Microsoft Dynamics? They're somehow touching information that's in a lease. And so what happens, the complexity is created is you have these digital systems butting up against this analog system, which is just a bunch of letters strung together in an agreement. Our goal is to make the technology easier to use. That's why we don't say, oh, you should run your abstracts from LeasePilot. We say, no, draft your lease in LeasePilot and we're going to ship the information to MRI and you can do what you want in MRI. And so LeasePilot is trying to be a conduit and it's trying to be a digital conduit to make your other digital assets more productive and efficient because they don't need to butt up against the system in a process which is analog and fundamentally incompatible with those other systems that you use. Well, listen, this was great. We're running short on time. I want to get to the last part of the show. It's called Retail Wisdom. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I got three questions for you, Gabrielle. Here they are. One, what is your best piece of commercial real estate advice? My best piece of commercial real estate? That's a great, you know, be able to stick with it. Be able, my, my dad always said it in the real estate business, the reason people lose money in real estate, it's because you can't hang on to it long enough. Interesting. No one said that one. I like that one. Question two, are you ready? What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? That's a, that's a tough one. What extinct retailer? I can't tell you. I can't tell you one. Come on, you, you're, you're in the retail real estate business. You got to tell me one. Let's do the third one. I'll come back to that one. All right. The third one. One of the hottest pro products out there right now is the Nugget Couch. Are you familiar? This thing is one of the most desired things I've ever seen out there. Are you familiar? I'm not familiar with the nugget. You will be after you, after this, you'll Google it and it'll, every social media thing that you go on will have the nugget pop up. It is, people are crazed for this thing. It's a configurable play couch. So as you can imagine in a COVID environment with kids home, uh, parents are searching for this, but it is literally constantly sold out. It is really hard to get it. And people are doing anything and everything to get the nugget. It is sold out right now. It is a coming soon. But what does the Nugget retail for on NuggetComfort.com on their website? And I'm supposed to totally guess this. Yes. Um, okay. Two grand? Oh, man. You're, you're, you might be the furthest off from any player of this game ever. It is $229. Um, Couch? It is the take. Check it out. And um, it is a play couch. So check it out. I'm obviously shopping at the wrong places for furniture. <laughs> it's not that type of furniture, but you got to check this out. Okay. Uh, so the retailer that I yes. thought of one, um, you count a restaurant as a retailer? Sure. In this context? So Rock's Diner. There's an amazing greasy spoon in our town. And they closed due to the Got pandemic. It. So I wish they were back. It's just a great place to, to have breakfast. Awesome. 
Well, listen, Gabrielle, this was fantastic. I really appreciate the time. Um, where can people reach out to you? Yep. They can reach me at gsafar at gmail.com. And they can always go to, excuse me, not gmail.com, gsafar at leasepilot.co. And they can always reach me um, through the website at www.leasepilot.co. Awesome. Well, listen, man, this was great. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.